Welcome to Predator Minute, the podcast that breaks down the 1987 action sci-fi classic Predator one minute at a time. I'm John Zabriskie. And I'm Jeff Glover. And joining us today again is brother of the show, Aaron Zabriskie. How are you, Aaron? I am very well, John. Awesome. Well, thanks for being here and ready to rock Minute 63 of Predator. Minute mm. 63 opens with Dutch pulling a rope downward and it ends with a shot of a stick propped up under a rock? Question mark? <laughs> <laughs> oh, this minute is glistening, is it not? <laughs> <laughs> this minute is throbbing like that oh, droopy castle. <laughs> <laughs> Backstory you listeners don't know about. Uh, it is throbbing. <laughs> How else could we describe this minute? This minute is sweaty. Yeah. It's mm. viney. Viney. Mm. Is it also veiny? <laughs> 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 We're talking about the minute, right? Yep. <laughs> Big old minute oh, predator. <laughs> we are. Sorry. I was just talking on the yeah, talking uh, over the old Zencaster. Let me turn back around. Oh yes. <laughs> Pivot back to predators. So <laughs> Jeff, why don't you take us to the first part? Tell us what's going on here for the first twenty or so seconds. Sure thing. So the first part is about uh, 20, 21 seconds. Of course, we carry over from I last minute. Carry over. Uh huh. The team is in full trap mode. You might trap. say here. traps. Mac, 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 Mac. Dutch is pulling a tree down. Ponchito cutting a vine. Anna, Anna also pulling a vine. We've got Ponchito cutting the same vine. <laughs> Uh, He says, look out to someone. We don't know. Uh, Anna tosses a coil of vines into a big pile of other coiled up vines. We got Mac throwing a rope to a branch. Mac! Mac. While Dutch and a uh, deliciously shirtless Dylan. Dylan! 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 uh, Pull on a rope. And we got Billy catching a rope. And then we got Panchito throwing a rope down to Dutch. (laughs) Really, a lot of rope. <laughs> a lot of rope throwing in this minute. Just <laughs> if you didn't know better, you just think that they're just stacking a bunch of ropes as part of their job in the jungle. <laughs> oh, they're humanitarians. They're just stacking some ropes up in the jungle for the local village to use. Yeah, they're harvesting rope. They're coiling rope. They're stacking yeah. rope. Cutting rope. Cutting rope. It's like yeah. an episode of uh, Ropes Monthly. <laughs> 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 for all your rope and not needs all your rope and needs <laughs> uh yeah so but in all seriousness this is kind of a fun montage don't you think it was a great montage nothing more 80s than a than a montage yeah we need a montage a montage i love a good montage and mm-hmm. this one is has all the pieces of a montage that you love you've got bulging muscles doing things <laughs> They're setting traps. They're getting traps. tools. Traps. Sorry, I'll try not to do the traps because we're going to say traps a lot this minute. It's a trap. We've got uh, some great like montage music in the background mm-hmm. that we'll talk about. Yeah, it's really got all the all the great elements of a of a good montage. Hmm. And I, I kind of uh, put together a very very short list of some other '80s montage slash montage. <laughs> Mm. scenes from movies um first off i said any rocky movie oh um, always but what always stands out to me as the highlight of the rocky montages is the dual montage between rocky and ivan drago where 
Rocky is doing it all natural, right? He's mm-hmm. as Chris Phelps on the um, Comics and Motion podcast likes to say. He, he might be doing a little more though than just saying his <laughs> prayers and taking his vitamins, <laughs> Rocky. But for the purpose of the movie, that's what he's doing. You know, he's, he's still beating on some meat slabs and punching a speed bag while uh, Ivan Drago is hooked up to machinery and he's doing computers. all these yeah computers he's using weight machines what a monster you guys are talking about Rocky 4 mm-hmm. yeah. are you familiar with the latest training montage involving Ivan Drago no tell us oh my goodness have you guys seen Creed 2 no I have not seen it yet what am I doing oh with my, life? my gosh well you guys are missing a huge gap in your 80s movies knowledge from a movie that came out in 2017 because <laughs> <laughs> it literally is a movie made in the 80s but in 2017 what I think the only uh, conclusion you can draw is they somehow uh, had a time machine to go back to do all of the editing and photography in the 80s and then brought it back to a movie to now uh, because it is literally uh, the sequel, direct sequel to Rocky IV. Uh, and so it, they bring Ivan Drago back. And so it's Ivan Drago's son fighting Apollo Creed's son. Oh. Very appropriate for this movie since Apollo Creed figures so heavily in Predator. Well, who's he? Wait, who's he in Predator? <laughs> Oh, is he, is he, is he Dylan? <laughs> Dylan! Dylan! <laughs> or he's the monster, you never see. He's, he's the predator, you got him. <laughs> well, you sold me, Aaron. I That one has been on my list for a long time. What's hilarious about what you're describing is they flip, they purposely flip the montage in Creed 2. What? So, Ivan Drago's son lives like in destitute post-Soviet Russia, right? Oh no. Actually in post-Soviet Ukraine, but you get the idea. And uh, and so he's the one that has to do all of the low-tech training. And then it's Apollo Creed's son who's living in modern day luxury, right? Who mm-hmm. is now the guy who's getting all the all the high tech stuff going? And so anyway, they kind of flip the script uh, in in the in the latest uh, Rocky movie. I will say uh, this was very reminiscent of the Rocky movies for the same reason in that uh, here you have the same contrast. You have the Predator; he's all mm-hmm. flash and uh, heat vision and lasers, plasma casters, and meanwhile uh, these guys. Are going back to the basic, mm-hmm. just like Rock. That's true. Mm, I like. And that. keep in mind, in Rocky mm. Four, he didn't have the meat slabs uh, like he did in the other Rocky movies. There, he was. He, you guys probably remember, <laughs> he went to Siberia, and so his main training was like running on icy roads when he was running away from the KGB agents who were tailing him. Uh, right. And he was like, I also remember him carrying huge, like, firewood. yeah, carrying lots of firewood. And, and oh yeah, lifting really heavy ox carts. The, uh, yeah. the one scene where he piles <laughs> his uh, his drunk uncle onto the uh, ox cart, mm. <laughs> and then deadlifts him over and over there. Man, eighties movies really did have the best montage. They really did. Like I feel like every Jean Claude Van Damme movie mm-hmm. from the late eighties and early nineties, especially like his fight movies, right? Like you know Bloodsport, Lionheart, Kickboxer. They all had a training montage somewhere in the middle, and they were mm-hmm. all fantastic. Nice. Uh, I, I wrote a few others, <laughs> just ones that stood out. If you ever saw, if you ever saw Footloose with Kevin Bacon dancing in the warehouse, 
Oh, a dancing montage. <laughs> oh, such a, he's dancing all his frustration and anger out. Oh. A really funny video clip is you watch the version where the soundtrack's removed and they put in just his sounds as he's running through with no music. It is hilarious. <laughs> just his little grunts like... <laughs> like, that's all it is. It's just like his little grunts. It's so funny. That's a good uh, dancing montage. That's a good mm-hmm. call. That wasn't even on my uh, on my radar. Nice, nice pull. Uh, the Top Gun volleyball scene, of course, which... Uh, <laughs> raises that movie to Predator Heights in terms of what people sometimes deem homoeroticism. Oh, yeah. Good good for those critics, I guess, and those analysts. Those analysts. I, mean, <laughs> I mean, I... I, 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 whenever I watch that scene, I'm slightly aroused. So. You want to play some volleyball. So, yeah, <laughs> I really want to go play volleyball. Oh, Playing with the boys. Yeah. Have you guys seen the preview for the new <laughs> Top Gun movie? Yeah. So you see there's the yes. shirtless touch football scene now? Wait. So there's like oh, a whole I missed second that. shot where they have, uh, <laughs> they have some that... of the young guys. You guys haven't paid attention to this? <laughs> I guess I just saw the little <laughs> teaser, <laughs> teaser where he's like flying through the valley. I guess. Yeah. I yeah. yeah. Also, there's too, a, yeah. So in that oh. teaser, there's about two or three seconds where there's a bunch of young guys playing playing uh, touch football shirtless. We'll have to see oh, how okay. that stacks up oh, to the awesome. volleyball scene. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> side by side comparison. I love it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what minute sixty three is for already, though. <laughs> is this minute sixty nine? This is, no, no, no nice. Yeah. No. Uh, the last one I would refer to is um, the dirty dancing dance training scenes between Patrick Swayze and Jennifer Grey because they're Ooh, doing like a dancing. dual montage, a dual montage, dual montage of like learning this complicated dance routine and coming closer falling in love so you know it's it's cool to have a little double action going on with your montage and is the same thing happening here with uh this scene are they are they building a trap and maybe also like coming together as a team a little bit more yeah even pulling in thinking more than falling in love <laughs> <laughs> Dylan and Arnold really Dylan. recapture that love and feeling. I think. Mm. This- yeah. They Bring perhaps have lost that love and feeling. Oh. Coming back. <laughs> no, no, no. No, no. She has not lost that loving feeling. <laughs> uh, but to your point, John, they uh, they kind of are, or at least at the very least, they're showing Anna Anna becoming a true member of the team here. Like, mm-hmm. she really, I mean, she's coiling rope with the best of them. So. Mm-hmm. That means she's one of them, one of us. One of us. And la- last thing I thought we could talk about before we move on to the second part is just any like trap scenes that have stood out to you in movies. I listed a few, but I, the one I just want to focus on is Conan the Barbarian has a, just a magnificent a magnificent trap death we've already referenced with Svenoli Torsen way back in the, the camp attack scenes where Sven L.C. Torsen's character in Conan the, the Barbarian loves swinging this two-handed hammer and Conan and his Conan and friends set up a trap where <laughs> they put up a, a helmet on the edge of a castle turret, I believe, and then Sven's character smashes that helmet thinking it's a person under there. Instead, it sets off this little Rube Goldberg spike trap where it swings this humongous spike right into Sven's chest, and he gives this great death cry, of, which is sampled <laughs> later on in the arcade game Golden Axe. Ah! Ah! 
Uh, oh yeah, there's a there's a good trap for you to kick off the trap talk. Trap talk. Wow, nice, wow, that was, nice thanks. trap talk corner. That's good. <laughs> there are a lot of I, references I wrote, in there. Yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> Aaron, do you have a trap? I have a couple. Aaron, do you have any trap movies? Should we go around in a circle, or should I just list mine off? <laughs> uh, you go ahead. I've right, got Aaron? some in the to to add here, but I gotta I gotta think of the the right way to present it. It's quite as punchy as what John mm. just did. Yeah, that, that was really good. Well done, John. <laughs> thanks. Um, the first movie that came to mind when I thought of traps in a trap movie is Goonies. Hmm. The, the Goonies. The Goonies is full of traps. Mm-hmm. Which scene are you set, thinking set about? by the one and only One-Eyed Willie. Oh, okay. Well, we've got the old... <laughs> 300 uh, years in the making. <laughs> yeah, right, right. we got the old piano keys hmm. uh, made out of bones trap. We got uh, there's when they're once they're finally on the ship. There's the the trap that like kind of pulls up all the sails and sets everything in motion. Mm-hmm. There's the uh, what am I forgetting? There's a whole bunch of traps they run into along the way. So that was one that came to mind. Um, That's a good one. Yeah, I also thought of because I lean towards horror films. Of course, I thought of the movie Saw. Oh. Hmm. Saws. Have you ever seen Saw, John? Or is that no, no? That's 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 way too far for me. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Saw. Saw is fantastic. Like the they made like a thousand sequels that you know for better or for worse. I'm gonna go ahead and say for worse. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. But the first the first Saw movie I love. I actually think it's a genuinely good uh, horror film, and it's because mm-hmm. it's small, it's low budget. Um, we have the great Carrie Elwes in it. Um, and that ah. movie is about uh, the bad guy <clears throat> whose name is Jigsaw captures people and puts them into traps that are also kind of riddles and they hmm. are timed and they have to figure these things out. And if they don't, they die. And if they do, then they can escape. Um, and the setup for all these traps is quite clever. So hmm. that's another one I thought of. Is, isn't Danny Glover in that one? In the original Saw? Ooh, yeah. gosh. Um, He's possibly. in one of those, right? I think yes, so. according to the internet, yeah. he is. Um, I just have to give nice. Danny Glover a shout out whenever because he's in front of yes. the That's the only reason. Right, he's the detective. That's right. You've yeah. got Danny Glover as the as the detective and Carrie Elwes as like your main lead. Riggs, Riggs, the shit. <laughs> uh, so Saw is a good trap movie, and then the last one I had on my list is uh, um, just the Indiana Jones movies. Always has huh. some good traps in them. Right, sure. like, especially like Last Crusade, like that kind of final sequence where he's going through the the series of traps trying to get to the Holy Grail. Yeah. Oh, those are yeah, hands down some of the best traps you're gonna find. Just the lethality and the the spookiness of them. Like in the first couple movies. Neil. Yeah, it's exactly penitent man meals. I feel like the first couple movies with their traps, I, I I don't know what is so different about them, but like the third movie, just like you just know there's traps coming, but like you don't know what they're gonna be. Like you're so anticipatory having watched the previous two movies, you're just like probably giddy for those traps if you're a trap fan. Right, Jeff, yeah. I thought for sure you would have mentioned the uh, horror movie. What is it where the people are wearing masks and the woman ends up being like this? survivalist and she totally takes out all the bad guys um i I know you've seen this what is it it's like uh they're wearing animal masks and like the whole thing is being done as a uh, ruse you're next yeah you're next yeah like she sets up some some cool traps that's true she does i forgot about that element of that movie i always think of that movie as like a uh kind of a home invasion flick that's been flipped Mm -hmm. right because it ends up that the 
the kind of our main final girl, the lead, like flips the switch on the home invaders and and uh, kind of she becomes the the attacker near the end there. But you're right, she does set up a bunch of cool, nice bloody traps. I love that movie. So, That's a great film. Uh, Oh. There are a lot of great traps yeah. in the movies you guys are talking about, but I feel like the scene is all about building the trap. Because uh, spoiler alert, these right. traps don't mm. actually work that well. <laughs> so, <laughs> the uh, so I feel like the the setting, the building of the trap is is really uh, is really I think the key here. So what honestly what brings to my mind is the Magnificent Seven. Uh, if you guys remember that movie from the sixties, the uh, uh, mm. No, no. Well, so they remade that in parody form, like scene to scene in uh, uh, Three Amigos with Steve Martin and uh, Martin Short and uh, Chevy Chase. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. With all the disguises, exactly. That one. <laughs> so like so that the wind. Was, so that that was like a scene <laughs> for some parody remake of, of the Magnificent Seven, where they're uh, they're setting up this elaborate traps in the town for the uh, Mexican banditos who are coming to. Uh, to lay waste to the town, and uh, at any rate, but but literally like a third of the movie in Magnificent Seven is just them preparing for this big ambush, and uh, and so it's just it's it's like this mm. montage that we just watch, oh, but like great. in <laughs> long drawn out fashion, and uh, uh, so the uh, <laughs> if you like this, then you would like watching Charles Bronson and Steve McQueen. <laughs> do the same thing for a good half hour mm. the uh, uh lane perhaps that one's <laughs> always been on my list of classic films to catch up with and you've you've sold me on it i'm gonna have to watch that sooner than later i don't think you'll like it really I like it. yeah i don't think it would really i don't think it'd be the type of movie that uh that you'd really like oh, uh but it is I, classic and you would recognize a lot of stuff from it that, yeah uh that later movies uh I would draw from so uh, you would you would see a lot that you would appreciate. I can get behind a western sometimes. It's not a genre I'm super familiar with, but every once in a while I'll watch one that I that I do enjoy. So hmm. Hmm, maybe. Okay, so let's take it to the second part of the minute. The second right. part of the minute. Uh, we cut to Anna Anna tying something together on the ground. We pan up to Dylan. 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 And he's saying to Dutch. You really think this Boy Scout bullshit's going to work? Dutch responds. Oh, Jeff, go ahead. How would Dutch respond? It can see our tripwires. Maybe it can't see this. Instead of complaining, maybe you should help. Dutch walks away and Dylan does this funny little like no duh thing to himself, like tap himself <laughs> on the head. He does. <laughs> a bit, like a very rare moment of humor that we're left with this far into the movie. It's nice to have that. Uh, we cut to a shirtless <laughs> Dylan again. So oh, when he straight to shirtless Dylan, I straight love to it. shirtless Dylan, like he takes that line seriously. He just starts <laughs> pulling on that same tree. I think that yeah. they've been pulling on for a good couple minutes now with uh, Dutch, Billy, and Mac. And Mac is the Mac. anchor. Mac. Mac. Mac is our anchor here of the rope, and they just continually pull this tree down. We cut to Billy throwing some leaves onto a vine trap on the ground. We pan down the length of a rope to see that it's tied to a stick propped up under a large rock. And that takes us mm. to the end of the minute. Yeah. Hey. Well, right at the beginning of this sequence, this is the part that is really glistening. <laughs> yeah. Because we get all these guys in there. At the very least, they all have no sleeves. Mm -hmm. Both of them don't have a shirt. And they've decided to pull on this tree right in the middle of a sunbeam. <laughs> 
Not a moonbeam, but a sunbeam. And they are just sparkling. They are glistening. And uh, man, Carl Weathers is ripped, man. Yeah, he is. He is a bulging, bulging man. Yeah, you can't. You don't quite notice it as much because he always has his uniform on right. until this, I think. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, he's uh, yeah, he's shredded. He's 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 pumping iron. Like all the stories that came out, <clears throat> and we've referenced this before, but uh, he always cracks wise with the making of documentary for this movie and saying that he would tell everybody else on set that it didn't work out, but he, in actuality, he was waking <laughs> up like an hour or two hours before everybody else and going to the makeshift gym they had set up on, uh, on set and then like leaving before anybody else could show up. So working on that, working on that pump, he always talks about that pump. Get up at four in the morning because you want that pump, but you don't want the other guys to see you getting that pump because when you walk onto the set, you know, and you look that good, it's got to be natural. You can't work out that hard. You know, nobody does. Uh, God just blessed you, you know. <laughs> well, he's doing it. Like, he's, he's got yeah, he's doing it. Yep. So they're pulling this tree down as a way to set this trap. This is the same tree we saw in the last minute, I think. Okay. Right. <clears throat> Trap. And uh, and we find out the reason they're pulling the tree down is to tie it to help me kind of work this out. They're tying it to uh, a net of some sort uh, that they're covering in leaves. Is that what it's tied to? Or is it tied to the stick that's under the rock? Man, you know, I it's hard to tell what they're doing because in true John McTiernan directing and Predator movie style, like they're not telling us what they're doing. There's no part where Dutch says, "Okay, we're going to set a bunch of leaves on the ground and we're going <laughs> to cover up some vines and it's going to create a little Ewok-like trap." It's it's not made clear like how exactly this trap functions. It's simply a montage that we're left to wonder ourselves, like like you are, like how how is it all going to actually right. work? What's the counterweight? I guess if you put it all together, you can see Dutch is tying that big rope before the shirtless Dylan scene. Yeah. He's like, well, if, why don't you help instead? <clears throat> like he's tying this gargantuan knot and that's what we're seeing at the end of the minute. So I'm not really sure how this all connects. Uh, Aaron, do you have any input on uh, knots and traps? <laughs> yeah, well, it, it- We'll see in the next uh, little bit here exactly how the thing actually works. Uh, sure. But yeah, it clearly is supposed to, uh, the way something like this would work is you'd remove the, the stick from the rock and then the tree would spring back up. And so you would, uh, and then take whatever is tied to it with it. And so just like Jeff was mm-hmm. pointing to, they've got this big net on the ground. It seems clear that you know, when you release the uh, the tree, it's going to spring up and it's going to bring the net with it. So presumably they're going to try to trap something mm-hmm. in the net. You know what this really okay. reminds me of? This reminds okay. me and of, uh, uh, I think it's season two of The Simpsons uh, when he and Bart. Yes. I, I referenced okay. it at last minute, actually. You <laughs> <I> did. You <laughs> did. <laughs> I had the audio drop Where in there. Where they uh, fling yeah. the rabbit. Uh, about a quarter mile <laughs> off the distance. It yeah. just launches. <laughs> I was, uh, yeah. I, when I first saw that, uh, I actually saw Predator before uh, that episode of The Simpsons. So when I saw that episode of The Simpsons, I thought about, about um, the Predator. I remember when uh, when I was much younger. Thinking, oh man, they're gonna catch something cool. Yeah. <laughs> like that would have worked with the predator if they just had just flung it a mile away in the air. Like they they would have problem solved. They would probably done more damage that way. Yeah. Yeah, I, I guess for for a future minute, they're gonna show this log, which I, I'm never really sure is that a counterweight or is that actually part of an Ewok like trap. I'm not really sure. The I can explain that- it to you in a later minute, but you're you're overthinking it. 
Okay. I will not overthink it. We can save it for a later minute. I, li- I like that idea because uh, I'd rather talk more about Dylan's line about this Boy Scout bullshit because, hey, Aaron, you and I were both in Boy Scouts for a long yes. time. Yes. Did, yes. In Boy Scouts, did we ever have to do kind of lashings <laughs> to uh, logs and such? I I mean, we always did when we had to like make like a <laughs> like a makeshift fort for a competition at like a jamboree, but nothing like this. Yeah, I don't remember doing this in Boy Scouts. This would have been a lot cooler. <laughs> <laughs> now we should clarify that Aaron is an Eagle Scout. Is that correct? Yeah. So in order to become an Eagle Scout, I actually did have to do something like this, but it's secret. I'm not allowed to tell you about it. And John, Ooh. you are still one one step away, right? Um, hey, there's still time. Yeah, <laughs> are you? Are you? A, is it Life Scout? Is that what you are? It is Life Scout. Good job. Were you a Boy Scout, Jeff? No, I've just you, made fun of you about this before. <laughs> <laughs> Not made fun of you. I'm sorry. I, Somebody's jealous. But I've joked about I'm the here. fact that you're the only one of your brothers, right? That's not an Eagle Scout. So you that's have to stand, true. You have to stand off by yourself at family reunions. <laughs> Heart. Heart. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it does bring back this scene do, does uh bring back memories of like just having to like tie a lot of sticks and logs together to make like i said makeshift forts or like a makeshift platform and then you'd have to like i think show it off at these big boy scout jamborees and like someone i think would have to stand on it if i remember correctly it had to pass a stand test does this sound familiar Aaron? yeah i used to make all kinds of silly things like this that were kind of pointless yeah. but i guess they <laughs> kept you busy at the time and you learn more about tying knots mm-hmm. the uh uh probably came in somewhat handy when you were sailing the boat right uh, I think so. Yeah, I guess when back, yeah, back when my wife and I lived my wife. Uh, my wife. on the sailboat, yeah, it was it was pretty handy. Like remembering some knots, but I mean nautical knots, way way different than land based knots. I have to tell you, <laughs> <laughs> this has been your not minute, <laughs> not minute. <laughs> Well, it just goes to show you never know how some of these things are going to be important later in life. You know, one day you might be facing off with the predator and you're just going to be thinking back, oh, I remember how to do this. (laughs) I wish I reached Eagle Scout and did that secret (laughs) trap making ceremony. Well, so uh, Jeff, you may not know this, but John knows that uh, I spent a lot of my 20s doing a lot of rock and ice climbing. And Mm. uh uh, obviously a lot of knot tying and climbing and search and rescue and some other things. And, and even though I didn't build <laughs> sort of, uh, uh, kind of silly platforms and, uh, and tripods and, and zip lines and stuff like we did in Boy Scouts, the stuff that we did do, a lot of it felt familiar because of Boy Scouts. So a lot of the stuff you don't necessarily know how you might come back to you later in life, but it can be helpful. Did you ever do like like large climbs that would require like a portal edge or anything uh, like that? Yeah, I, uh, I have done, I've actually only ever done one climb that really needed a portal edge, but we didn't have one. We just uh, suffered, mm. and, uh, <laughs> which is a common thing, uh, climbing the mountains. But uh, the kind of stuff that you need a portal edge for, yeah. wow. that really wasn't the kind of thing I really liked. The, uh, the, yeah, for the yeah. most part, that was a much different style of climbing than what I was into. Right, that's like, I mean, well, that's like big. I wouldn't think of it as necessarily like, big as much as steep. Big wall climbing that makes it the biggest difference. So there's, yeah. Uh, yeah. So people call that big wall climbing when you're in a place mm-hmm. that's uh, steep to the point where you're going to have to spend the night out, steep and tall enough that you'd have to spend the night out on a, in a vertical position like that. 
but there's lots of big mountains out there, you know, and right. uh, that you don't need to spin a portal edge on. So, I mean, the biggest mountains in the world, you don't need a portal edge. Uh, and even a lot of the places right. where you use right. a portal edge, like a lot of the, the mountains in California around Yosemite Valley, a lot of that stuff, people are good enough now where they can climb that half a day. So you don't have to have a portal edge for that stuff. That's, uh, uh, so right. portal edges sort of can be sort of fun and interesting in their own way, but it was just never really something that appealed to me. Did you watch the documentary about the guy that, that yeah, free soloed? Yeah, free solo about uh, Alex Honnold. Yeah. Was a, Dude, I really that was enjoyed crazy. that movie. Did that you see it? That was insane. Yeah, I did. Um, I saw that, and I also saw the one where the the other climbing documentary about El Capitan that came out the same year. Oh, so yeah, there was a couple that came out the same year. The the Dawn Wall was probably the the other one that you saw that came out the same year. Yeah, I saw that one too, and that was also fascinating about him climbing that piece of the wall that had never been climbed before, really, right? Yeah, that's that's exactly what what that was about. Those two climbing movies, I think what they had in common that was really cool was that they didn't spend a lot of time explaining the climbing, which I think was good. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were really sort of more like personality studies of of the main climbers involved. So especially the the free solo movie with Alex Honnold was really, yeah. I felt like sort of all about telling his story and what kind of person he is. Yeah, because you got to be a certain kind of person to even consider doing that. Mm-hmm. I dabbled in a little rock climbing in my 20s. And so I've done a little here and there, um, but I was never real serious about it. I never, I never led any climbs. I was always just top roped when I was doing them. Oh, but, cool. um, so I found those documentaries like super fascinating to see these people like, like at the top of like the top climb, like, the top of the climbing world, right? Like sure, the best at what they do. Yeah, no, finding those, new uh, ways uh, to yeah, push. Alex Honnold and Tommy Caldwell, they're the sort of the main uh, folks in those movies. They're definitely the some of the best rock climbers in the world. So they uh, yeah, yeah they did some really good. Stuff. So the uh, there's a a brief moment here in uh, <laughs> which you guys alluded to in uh, about second forty five where they're all hauling on the rope at the same time to bring this tree down, and uh, uh, that reminds me a lot of being in Search and Rescue. There were a lot of moments like this where you've got a mm. bunch of people all hauling on the rope at once uh, to try and get stuff moved to where you want it to go. And uh, and just like, I think, uh, John, I heard you mention at some point, Bill Dukes at the bottom is like the anchor. Uh, that was always me. Rock. I was always the guy. Well, I was always the biggest, heaviest guy uh, among our uh, among our search and rescue crew. So I have always been about six feet, I don't know. 200, 190, 200 pounds. And, uh, and most rock climbers, as most people know, are like really thin, wiry guys. And so in Search and Rescue is me and a bunch of these uh, little wiry guys built more like Alex Honnold. And so typically mm-hmm. I would go to the, I would oh. be the, whatever the fat guy position was. <laughs> Just, <laughs> yeah, exactly. The sit on the Banker. rope guy. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Wow. Well, next time you're around, we should all go to uh to a wall somewhere and uh I'll be what is it, top rope? Is that like the rookie position? John, you've you've rock climbed with me before. Do you remember the last time we went uh down in Portland? In Oregon? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was that was way fun. Uh, terrifying at the same time cuz <laughs> <laughs> kind of a big big ween sometimes when it comes to that stuff, but what? Uh, it is, is. being a weenie, you just you were you were a gamer, man. You had not done that much of the stuff, but you just jumped right in and were like, "Okay, drop me off the side mm-hmm. of the cliff, Aaron. We'll figure it out." <laughs> the the scariest part was being I think at the top, right? Wasn't that where it was like it was at the top, so like, like trying to figure out how to I get was down. like <laughs> Right, I was like that close to like the end of the rope, right? Not the end, but you know, like the topmost. Yeah. Um, I don't even know what you call it, like uh, Paton. Is that it? You're talking about uh, the, the anchor? 
near the top? Yeah, that was at like the topmost anchor, I think. And you're yeah. still right. You were still helping me there on on the rope. But like, I think at one point I was like just changing position. I think I remember being that being like uh, the most uh, suspenseful part of the climb because there was like some kind of body shift I had to do. Kind of, I can't remember if it was going from standing just to leaning back or what it was but there was something there where yeah there's a really intense part of the climb where i'm just like looking down like all right i'm just gonna trust what aaron says just do what he says <laughs> <laughs> and, it, and it worked out because you know you know what you're doing yeah, yeah you recovered from all those injuries that you sustained really well later <laughs> obviously it worked out just fine <laughs> as i recall the next day didn't uh, we go to the retro video game convention yeah the prge the Portland Retro Game I Expo. probably felt just as uncomfortable there as you did up on the cliff. Yeah, next time we're all in the same place, we'll have to yeah find a wall, find a rock gym, whatever, do some rock climbing. Because I'll I'll take Eva every once in a while to like the Stone Garden or something like that, and that's a lot of fun for about ten minutes, and then she's done. She just kind of right. wants to body slam the floor on the all the <laughs> the cushy parts, you know. Yeah, yeah. Sounds about right. <laughs> like that's fun, but I'd I'd really like to go up a little bit. <laughs> you guys tell me if you already talked about this. In my opinion, here's my bold statement here. I think this is actually the scene where you get the next genre shift in the movie. Oh I know some would say later mm, when it's just take. Arnold by himself. Hot take. But I would say this is the first time when they're no longer facing kind of a, an invisible enemy. This is the first time when, they're, uh, when they have a plan to actually be more proactive instead of just reacting to, uh, uh, to what's happening to them. And this sets the stage for the way Arnold uh, ultimately sets up his strategy and his tactics uh, uh, going against the Predator on for the rest of the movie yeah no i i I think you're right john and we we or sorry i said john i think you're right aaron um so you say john uh we and we talked about this briefly i feel like last minute when when we were talking about the iconic line if it bleeds we can kill it if it bleeds we can kill it that that does uh, signify a shift in their thinking. Uh, you know, up until this point, they've been trying to survive or avoid or just try to figure out what this thing is. Mm-hmm. And now the movie has shifted and they're going on. They're actively trying to attack it or get mm-hmm. back at it or trap it or, you know, they're fighting back here. So I think you're absolutely right. Like, I think it's an important moment in the movie. Um, which is going to carry us into the, the third act of the Arnold and Predator showdown. Yeah, I mean, I really hope it works out for the team that this trap just goes off without a hitch. You know, I, haven't, I haven't seen much beyond this minute, but yeah, you know, we'll I, I have out. a good feeling. We'll find out what happens. Yeah. I, I think you can minute 63, also, there's not a lot more room for stuff to happen. I think you could obviously also easily argue that the, the third act doesn't really begin until it's the mano a mano Predator Arnold. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. in my opinion, there's a much uh, there's a big uh, kind of perspective and thematic shift in the movie here. Sure, because Arnold's shift doesn't change from here until the end, the very end of the movie, when he's you know done what he set out to do here, just to, in this minute or last minute, trapping the predator. It's like you're saying the the goal now shifts to them on the attack, and that doesn't stop until at least one of them, at least one of the team, has succeeded. Um, I, I think the last couple things I have, um, one is the script difference. The script difference is going back to the original script. The team ultimately does set a similar trap way after the uh, vine scene, mm. but also 
quite a bit after Mac and Dylan have been killed in the original script. So it's just Anna, Anna, Billy, and Dutch. Ponchito can't really help out at that point in the script because he's injured really bad. His ankle broke and the whole vine mess over those last few pages. Uh, and then also another huge deviation is that Billy leaves the group at this point. He's uh, Dutch asks him to, you know, get to the chopper, hold that chopper, you know, in his, in his own lines. Uh, but Billy leaves in the cover of night as the group waits at night for the predator to spring this trap in the oh. script. Yeah, in the script, so. do we ever see him again, or is that his demise? Hmm. I'll have to leave know? you hanging on that. We'll leave you, you hanging. Also okay. Just, you can also just read the original script because it's on the Google Drive. But I'm, I'm. Well, I know that I'm. I'm. Uh, I'm <laughs> oh, you're asking I'm, for the audience. I'm a proxy for the audience here. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Proxy. Hey, you're welcome. Yeah. So, so quite quite a big change, but a lot of the same stuff still happens. The big change being, of course, Billy just leaving to try to right, get to the chopper in a, in a timely manner. Hmm. Um, my last thing is just purely as a, as a movie detail observer, we know that the Predator somehow saw their tripwires enough to avoid them, or at least he was smart enough to set something off that would set off the tripwires. Uh, but we know that he sees heat. We've seen the Predator vision. What's the difference between tripwires and vines or rope in detecting? Can he not detect one, but he can detect the other? I'm not, I'm not really understanding um, much the much of the logic here in the trap. Yeah, I don't. I was wondering about that too. Like, they don't really explain that. It doesn't. I don't understand why these traps would be any more hidden mm-hmm. or camouflaged than the trip wires. That I mean, a trip wire seemed like it. It would be way more hidden than something like this. But mm-hmm. I don't know. But this trap is made out of mostly organic material. Maybe that mm-hmm. makes a difference because they're using trees and vines and and maybe for whatever. Like the trip wire is a. I assume like a you know, maybe a metal wire or, or twine or something. Mm-hmm. And so maybe he can detect that easier. But I had the same question. I don't know, Aaron, did you have a, a thought on that? Yeah, we've got a couple of thoughts. I mean, the obvious thing is there's vines and trees everywhere. So mm-hmm. uh, there's not trip wires everywhere. So the uh, uh, the vines would definitely stand out less. But the, uh, the other thing is, uh, if you've seen the second movie, or if you ever played in the video games, uh, you know, the predator, like, will cycle through these different types of visions, uh, mm. uh, visual sort of um, oh, yeah, that's uh, right. constructs that it has, visual filters. And uh, and so uh, I don't think they really get into it in this movie. His vision changes when he takes the mask off. But, uh, but uh, in this movie, I don't think they specifically point out the uh, different sort of visual fields that he has. But in the other movies and, and, uh, and in the video games, they do. And uh, and so in probably uh, he's got some other other tricks up his sleeve as far as seeing things that would allow the metal of the tripwires to stand out, whereas the vines, since there's vines all over the jungle, might not be as obvious. I like it. Good explanation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but so Arnold says hedge on it, right? Arnold says maybe they can't see this. So right, and right. Arnold, <laughs> Arnold doesn't know. He's just he's being as creative as he can. Exactly. He's he's being Boy Scout and about there this whole go. thing. Good old Boy Scouts. Life Scouts. Heart. Heart. <laughs> Heart. Heart. So have we done it? Have we talked minute 63 of Predator? We've done it, I think. All right. I, th- I think we're done. I'm done. Aaron, are you done? I'm ready to go to sleep. 
All right. You know what that means. Right before you hit the hay, before your head hits the pillow, uh, we talk weekly recommends, things we've been watching or listening to, uh, shoes we've been wearing, beverages we've been consuming, um, sites we've been seeing. Jeff, what do you have? Oh, I feel like I have a pretty good recommend this week. Awesome. uh, Yeah. I mean, besides Breath of the Wild, I'm going to recommend that uh, every week (laughs) from here on. A third time. Yeah. (laughs) Play that game. It's really good. Okay. I watched a movie that is a straight-to-Netflix film. It's called Dolomite Is My Name. Oh, okay. It's starring Eddie Eddie Murphy and Wesley Snipes uh, and several other actors you would recognize. And uh, it is the, the story of um, a filmmaker from the 70s named Rudy Ray Moore. Well, actually, he was less of a filmmaker and he was more of a kind of an all-purpose entertainer. He was a stand-up comedian, um, nightclub entertainer who was just kind of scraping and getting by. And uh, his story goes that he came up with an idea from talking to a bunch of homeless folk in his neighborhood to uh, develop a certain character and he took this character to the stage who told very dirty raunchy jokes and uh, became a hit with this act and started using this act in a bunch of rooms and became very popular started recording comedy albums that he was selling out of the trunk of his car and in local record shops and uh, eventually he decides to leverage his popularity into making a film starring himself and his character uh, which became the kind of famous black exploitation cult classic Dolomite, and uh, it's really, really good. It's really fun. Like Eddie Murphy, seeing him in a movie again is awesome, and he's also just really good in the role. The story is super fun. There's drama and comedy, and I, I just am a sucker for like movies about people making movies, mm-hmm. um, and. Uh, yeah, it was super entertaining. I, I loved it from minute to end. It's it's honestly one of my favorite movies I've seen this year. Oh, so, awesome. yeah, everyone check out Dolomite Is My Name. It's on your Netflix account right now. Just wait before you. Nice. How was the uh, production design? Did it feel like it was back then? It was cool. It, I mean, it, um, it felt like a, a modern film, but they were... My favorite part of it was the kind of the middle section when they show them just sort of guerrilla filmmaking putting together this 70s exploitation film with barely any money and they are basically like squatting in this old hotel and using it as their main um, filming location and they steal power from a lamppost down the street and <laughs> this is all apparently uh, real things that they did and uh, just the I, I love the idea of of people making a movie like kind of getting away with something you know mm-hmm. other movies i love other movies that are like that I, on f this movie they were actually talking about this recently when they were discussing this movie and and uh, they brought up you know uh, wet hot american summer is a movie that feels that way it feels like it's a bunch of people that get together to make a funny film and no one is really paying attention to what they're doing and they're kind of getting away with something sure and, um, and this this story has that same feel to it and uh, it's just super fun. So yeah, check it out. And, and Wesley Snipes has a small role, but completely steals every scene that he's in. 
Um, nice. And it's really fun to see him in a movie again because he hasn't been in any movies in a long time. So. <laughs> yeah, why is that? <laughs> <laughs> He's got to pay his Do taxes. They not- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, they made they made that joke in Expendables three, I think. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, it was, so, it was so good. They, yeah, tax evasion. They even say it, tax evasion, <laughs> in that movie. It's, it's like just look right at the camera. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I can't, I can't recommend it enough. Uh, Dolomite is my name. It's great. All right. Thank you, Jeff. Aaron, what about you? What do you have to recommend this week? Uh, listening to podcasts lately, I was enjoying. Yeah, I listen to a lot of medical, not a lot. I listen to a few uh, medical podcasts that are uh, specifically made for people in the medical field. And uh, okay. those are interesting to me, but most people would probably not find them that interesting because it talks a lot about uh, specific uh, medical studies and uh, a lot of technical stuff. Uh, but I started listening to one today called The Nocturnist. And a nocturnist would hmm. be someone who works in a hospital at night. And uh, working in a hospital at night is where all the crazy stuff happens and you're usually by yourself. And, uh, <laughs> and so these stories are a little more uh, humanitarian and a little less technical. And okay. uh, I listened to a couple of them today while I was at work and, uh, uh, and really enjoyed it. And I think they would be good for both people in the medical field as well as people not in the medical field. And that's, uh, that's kind of rare to find uh, something like that that appeals to insiders and outsiders alike. Oh, that's really cool. So did it remind you at all of any of the stories that you experienced as a, as a, a nighttime operator in the hospital? Of course. Yeah. All of it feels very familiar to people on the inside. Uh, but they make a point of choosing particularly interesting stories that would be both interesting two people in the medical field because they're somewhat unusual but also mm-hmm. uh, 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 interesting to people outside of the medical field because it reveals some sort of more basic kind of truths like the, the my favorite one that I listened to so far was probably a story of a guy who was on a tour of North Korea and uh, mm. from the United States and found himself very much a stranger in North Korea but had to respond to some medical emergencies there and uh, and sort of all the the really interesting uh, kinds of compromises and difficult situations that that puts you in being very very much an outsider in North Korea, uh, but still feeling like you have to do something as a medical provider, and uh, and so uh, that was uh, an example of a, uh, of a I thought a really cool episode where they did a good job of bringing things in that would be interesting to people who are in the medical field but probably have not done a lot of medicine in North Korea (laughs) and also interesting to people who are not in the medical field but might find it cool to hear about these sort of uh, emergency situations in a faraway place you said that was called the nocturnist nocturnist. Hmm. how do you spell that Mm, let's look probably n-o-c-t-u-r-n-i-s-t Oh, okay. And I think it's plural, right? It looks like nocturnus. That very well could be. Yes. Okay. It is plural. Cool, okay. cool. Cool, cool. So check out the nocturnus for some cool nighttime doctoring stories around the world. Cool, cool. Uh, the recommendation I have is a recent Netflix 
show that popped up on the old kids feed because we're always looking for something new that we can all watch together as a family with uh, our little four-year-old and we found a show called green eggs and ham it's this animated show uh obviously based on the works of dr seuss but it does this awesome job of just kind of plopping you in the middle of this story you don't really know what's going on you kind of piece it together as you watch the episodes and it's just a, a wonderful little road show slash buddy show slash with elements of mystery and adventure uh, it's all taking place in the dr seuss world so there's all sorts of little nods and references to you know one fish red one fish two fish red fish blue fish uh, they'll say little lines here and there from like just kind of more obscure Dr. Seuss books, which was really fun. Uh, it has some good humor, some good twists and turns, uh, and I would highly recommend it. We, it's something that even Sarah and I were like saying, like uh, we we really should watch the next episode. No, no, it's okay. You don't have to go to bed yet. Even let's let's, let's watch one more. And yeah. we just finished we just finished it tonight, and I just thought it was wonderful. Good good family viewing, uh, especially with the holidays coming up. You know, people like are gonna be with their families more might as well have some more things that they can see all together and yeah netflix netflix provided it was really neat uh green eggs and ham check it out nice thanks netflix thanks netflix yeah boy netflix coming up big in this recommend section yeah thanks netflix high five aaron where can people find you in the trees All right, Jeff, where can people find you? It's <laughs> <laughs> hard to follow up. Uh, mm-hmm. You can find me on the Twitter. That's Carl underscore Hungus 314. My name is Carl been expert. Come follow me there. Boy, I tweeted my ass off uh, this last weekend while the Seahawks were playing the 49ers. What a game. Which ended very well. It was a great game. Good outcome if you are a <laughs> Seahawks fan and uh, put us one step closer to taking the NFC West, which uh, we would really like to have uh, some home field advantage in the playoffs this year. So, mm-hmm. yeah, a very fun game. But, yeah, come follow me there on the Twitter sphere. Awesome. Awesome. And you can find Predator Minute on Twitter as well, at Predator Minute. You can email this show uh, some of your best trap scenes from movies or montages or mantages or <laughs> top gun tages uh, predator minute at gmail.com you can also start a conversation or join a conversation on our facebook group the predator minute listeners palapa target the center of the 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 palapa so for predator minute i've been john zabriskie and i am jeff clever and i'm the doctor <laughs> And until next time, stick around. You really think this Boy Scout bullshit's gonna work? You really think this Boy Scout bullshit's gonna work? You can see our tripwires. Maybe you can see this. Instead of complaining, maybe you should help.